and uh, one dog up again this week, and he's very pleased to have us back. Welcome to Underpod Zombie. Slightly at the beginning there, like I was saying, welcome to Hand of Pod Zombie, but we've not renamed the podcast. We are still just Hand of Pod. Um, I'm Sam Kelly. We are without Australian Dan this week because he's a big wimp who couldn't come out in the rain. I think he also did have a prior commitment. He made some excuse about a class, but none of us are buying it, really. No, absolutely. Um, I'm here with English Dan, whose voice you've already heard. Hello, welcome. And Argentine Seba, whose voice you haven't yet, so here it is. Hola, how are you? And by the way... Uh, Ozzy Dan just called me, said he's not interested in soccer, as he said. He's, he's just like uh, to follow rugby union, yeah. and he's he's going to New Zealand for the semi-final, support the Wallabies. That may or may not be true, but that, <laughs> that's the rumor. This obvious, yeah. <laughs> this is hence why he's not here. Yeah, um, we've got uh, zombie in here somewhere as well with us, so I'll apologise in advance if it's noisier. He's apparently been. <laughs> Making English Dan feel very jealous for seeing other dogs last week at the podcast. It's not me feeling very jealous. He's the one's jealous. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, feeling very guilty is what I should have well, said. Just um, with a massive dog hanging off my leg. It's <laughs> made life very uncomfortable. Yeah, we can imagine it. It must be yeah. hard to go around Buenos Aires with one of those, especially when you have to get into the stadium at the weekend and whatnot as well. It's not nice. Except, of course, that we've, we've had a weekend off going to the stadium this week mm-hmm. because we've had the international matches, which is obviously where we're going to be starting. Um, on Friday Argentina did I think we could all say better than expected mm-hmm. um, better than we were expecting certainly they beat Chile 4-1 it was perhaps a bit of a harsh score on, on Chile from, from the point of view of their attack <coughs> but in a way it didn't really flatter Argentina exactly harsh on Chile but without flattering the victors um, Argentina was superb in that game and then on, on Tuesday night, Argentina went uh, went away to Venezuela, who they played 18 times against and won 18 times as Including well. Including an 11-0, I believe, 1975, which yeah. I was looking into, and one of the players that's got a hat-trick in, them, in that game was called Daniel Killer. Was just <laughs> yeah. Completely out of the He was a redhead. He was a redhead, ginger killer. They were brothers. They were a couple of, of brothers. There's a couple Daniel, of killer brothers. They played in the Nestor killer. Cup, didn't they? <laughs> I think. I'm, I'm sure I one of them was in right, the yeah. 74 World Cups. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Argentina went away to a side they've only ever done anything but win against. They'd never even drawn against Venezuela before, and they lost 1-0. Mm. And it was a fully deserved loss victory for Venezuela, whichever way you want to look at it as well. Um, so we're going to give our incisive commentary on both of those matches. What should we start with, guys? I suppose start with what's fresh and the bad news followed by the good news, yeah? Um, well, I think what I could probably say kind of generally on the two games is one of the teams showed exactly how you have to play against Argentina and I'm going to let our very clever readers work out which is which <laughs> and one of them showed us exactly how you can't play against Argentina. Because yeah, Chile came out so kind of gung ho, so desperate to uh, you know beat them three 0 Oh, now so the mystery is, is 
the mystery's yeah, gone. So yeah, you're just I'm giving, you, giving us the answer. I don't think I could have gone through that whole <laughs> section, that whole kind of speech <laughs> I prepared without mentioning either of the teams. So uh-huh. it would have been interesting to try that. Indeed. <laughs> and so, yeah, like Chile, basically, they've got some great players, but in that game, they almost committed suicide, like just yeah. pouring players forward. Mm. And on the other hand, Venezuela, like, I think Farias, their, their manager, he's 38, he's been in charge since 2009, I believe. Or, yeah, for a yeah. few years. Yeah. Took over at a very young age. And no, he's just really impressed me as a coach in the Copa America and now in the Yeah, they reached the semi finals in Copa exactly, America yeah. for the first time and, ever. Yeah, and basically they were a little bit shaky at the start of Venezuela. Like, Argentina didn't have. Incredible, incredible chances, but there were a lot of shots and goal going through. Vega, who's a very good keeper, was up to all of them. And then once they got their game plan in, in motion, they just closed Argentina down all over the field, pushed and pushed, and you got to say, for the last hour of the game, they were well, well on top. And yeah. they could have won by even more if it wasn't for Andujar in goal for Argentina, who made a couple of brilliant saves. Yeah, I have to say... I I'm, I'm a bit disappointed on Sabella, by Sabella, but I'm still fully confident in, in in what he's going to do with Argentina and and his and the way he approaches his his job. Um, he got it wrong this time. Where he will learn it, from it. Where do you think it went wrong, Sabella? Well, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's it's a fact and it's something that. I believe had a, had an impact. I believe Venezuela were the better team. That's without a question. But I also think um, it is important to 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 understand that Argentina played on Friday um, almost the same team except for Mascherano and Michelis, who who didn't play against Chile but did play against Venezuela. We shouldn't have. But. Um, yeah, and <laughs> except for those two, it was basically the same the same team. And Venezuela were all. Uh, rested because on Friday they sent an alternative uh, team to play in the altitude in Quito. They prepared for that for for a long time. They didn't get a result. They lost two 0 But uh, the good thing they did was to stay fresh, and it was it was evident by ha- after half an hour, Argentina were were out of legs already and out of oxygen. It, it was hot. It was humid, and I'm. I'm not using this as an excuse. It's just a way to understand why, on the, the, during that first half an hour, Argentina were a bit on top of, of Venezuela. Iguain had a shot on goal. Messi had two. The keeper, as, as Dan was saying, was was excellent at those uh, in those situations. And then after that, Argentina were just not there. Just outplayed. Basically. Yeah, we were outplayed and. and the one thing I hope Sabella to avoid is to fall in love with the, 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 the players he used to have with the Estudiantes. Because we all know, uh, all, uh, all managers, every, every manager uh, uh, has this tendency of keeping the players they, they, they know who can play under them. And then when they go to another club, they try to sign them. Mourinho did it many times and, and he, even sa- he even brought players to two or three different clubs and it was all, always the same agent but that's that's another, that's another yeah, part of the argument so <laughs> but the thing is <clears throat> I'm thinking uh, Sabela he used uh, Andujar who was so-so in the first game and very good against Venezuela Marcos Rojo who got a yellow card in each game and he sus- suspended for the third one uh, Jose Sosa 
and Rodrigo Braña in the first in the first game because Mascherano was suspended. And I don't know. I, I can. I don't know if I if I see them being true international players, uh, especially Marcos Rojo. I think he's not ready yet. I think we we could try different options. We will try different a different option against Bolivia at least. But that that is something I I I wish Sabella can can take into consideration and say okay, these guys these guys have been excellent for me. We won Copa Libertadores. We won a, a league in Argentina. We took Barcelona to extra time in the FIFA Club World Cup. But maybe they're not they're not up there uh, to play in the end in. On the international stage. This know? is something that actually takes us on to two other points I wanted to discuss. Um, the first was a, a point that I wanted to make, similar to what you've just been saying, Seba, about if there's one criticism I would make of Sabella from what we've seen so far, and I think it's very early to start uh, making any kind of really big criticisms, he does seem slightly too wedded to these former Estudiantes players, mm. to the extent where last week after we recorded he asked Seba Beron whether Beron would consider playing against Bolivia on the 11th of November. Beron's going to be retiring on the 31st of this month. Mm-hmm. Hello, zombie. Um, he's back, everybody. And um, that almost seems well, uh, that almost seems too desperate, doesn't it? Asking a player who's going to have retired a week previously by the time that, that game mm. arrives. Yeah, I don't know if he thought about it to to give Veron 90 minutes, maybe just as an official testimonial for for him or a last sure, chance for him to that, play. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I, I I didn't. I wouldn't want to see that. And that that is probably coming from the media as well. So I wouldn't read too much into it. And, and maybe they they ask him the question and he he was polite in, in saying mm. something about it. But I, I don't think that's that's in his mind right now. But the other thing that worries me a little bit is that I'm okay with a manager that prepares the team according or depending on what the opposition will will bring to the game. If you're expecting to face a five-man defense, you you have to prepare accordingly. And I trust Sabela in, in, in that he knows how to play with different formations. He's not a one-tactic man like Batista was. But but one thing that worries me is if he if he is going to do this all the time and uh, probably respect the opposition a lot or a bit more than he should. Like you, you know, it's it's a way of saying. It. Of course, you respect all opposition. But what I mean is. Argentina should take the game. Should, should take on the game, uh, regardless of the oppositions, of the opposition. Can I put when in, it's when it's possible. Can you know, I put in for a, a second seven and ask you whether you thought they did that against Chile, because there were a few Argentine journalists during the first half against Chile after Argentina had gone two 0 up, claiming that Argentina was worrying too much about the the opposition, which I thought was a ridiculous thing to say. Chile hmm. attacked well in, in the early stages, and Argentina weathered that, hit them on the counter. And strangled the match after that. Um, but it's, it's hard it, it has to, say. to be said that there are some yeah. voices yeah. in the Argentine press unhappy with this idea that Sabella wants his team to <laughs> defend semi-competently, try not to concede <laughs> goals, and also score. And it's yeah. a strange thing to be saying when you're beating a, a very good team, which Chile are four-one. I wouldn't, you know, agree with agree with it particularly, but I think up to a certain point they they might have something because I think if you're Argentina, you've got to you've got to be looking to impose your style on the others. You can't kind of wait to see how they play and, and adapt to it. Like A team like Argentina, 
they should, I think, I don't know how you'd say it in English, I've been here too long, like, they have to be kind of the protagonista, the, the protagonist in every game. And I think, you know, until they do that, it's always going to be kind of, if the other team has a particularly good day, as Venezuela did, and Chile could have if, you know, but that's a few also, other players were there. It's also kind of a stupid different. way to play. It's what Maradona was trying to do during the World Cup. Mm. It's suicidal when you do it against a team like Germany. But if Sabella was to do it against a team like Germany in a World Cup quarter-final tomorrow, they'd all be complaining about it, even yeah. though you'd stand a far better chance of actually winning the game. Yes, yeah. like no, I think if you strike the right balance, mm. I think it's a very good thing to do, um, to approach the game professionally and, and, and be prepared and know that... Because uh, I don't know, I, I'm not sure if the players at the World Cup, for example, just to use the example you just brought, uh, I, I don't know if they knew how... Thomas Miller played, how Ozil played, how Schwarzenegger played. They didn't know what what was hitting them. Yeah, of course you have to prepare and you have to know your opposition. That's a different thing from knowing your opposition and playing your opposition's game, if you know what I mean. Of course, of course. That's that's why, that's the thing that worries me a little bit, but I think it's it's workable. I think there could be, they can be, the solution can be fine and I'm confident Sabella will Mm -hmm. do it. And you also have to have in mind that this is very early days and, and mm. this is just starting and yeah. um, that is probably w- another reason why Sabella feels comfortable with the players he knows uh, but enough is enough sometimes in, and a result like this in Venezuela and especially a performance like this in Venezuela could bring some change uh, in Sabella's head uh, that's that's the hope at least and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not a Incredibly stubborn guy. He's a guy with concepts and and, and 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 ideas, and he's very strong. Has a very strong mentality, but I don't think he's uh, stubborn enough not to change when he sees that mm. is there's something wrong. It also has to be said that we, a number of us, said after the Copa America, especially that this World Cup qualifying round was going to be really interesting. Round uh, World Cup qualifying group, and it has been really fight, interesting fantastic. because the Copa America showed us that there aren't any. Yeah. Minnows in South America no. anymore. No more Cinderellas, as they like to say, of Venezuela. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with the possible exception of uh, Peru, who haven't got off to the best start. But, oh, they beat know. Paraguay too. Oh, I really like no, sorry, Bolivia look yeah. a little bit kind of further back from the others. Yeah, they, they couldn't even win at, in the altitude, and that's. Well, they that's didn't that's even draw <laughs> Yeah, they couldn't even draw. Well, they they fair, were they close had, to. Yeah. They had a lot of shots, I think, they ended up having about. 20 shots on goal a lot of them were kind of hit it hope the altitude works its voodoo on the ball and one of those <laughs> works well, well once yeah <laughs> it was very good um, but yeah if we can sort of look back and uh, the, the other point sorry that I wanted to make uh, which ties into a question that one of our listeners has asked uh, Joseph Sexton sent an email to Australian Dan who's not here this evening but he did forward it to the rest of us asking about um, Argentina's fullbacks because we mentioned that Rojo didn't have the best game last night. And neither did Zabaleta. No, no, absolutely. Zabaleta was uh, was not too too hot either. And um, whether there are any, how much competition there is, it's something we've addressed before. And I, I kind of don't feel that there's not an awful lot of strength strength in depth at fullback in world football hmm. at the moment. Um, but the Argentine national team, <coughs> you're looking again at Rojo, which, who, who, as you say, Serba, is perhaps not quite international standard. Um, 
Who else is there in that position? Emiliano Plata. It's Ansaldi, I guess. Yeah, Christian Ansaldi, who was injured. But those guys who go to play in Russia, in Ukraine, mm. you hardly get to see them. And it's not and the same as playing in Spain, Italy, even Portugal, course, kind of, of level-wise and exposure. I, I always liked Emiliano Insua, and I mm. think he's still young, he still has a lot to learn, yeah. and he's still not consistent enough, but I think he's got some, some tools and some experience, mm. uh, even being young. And, and he's now, he, now he, yeah. he just moved to Sporting Lisbon, he scored a fantastic goal recently mm. from outside the box, and, and then he got a red card in the same game, but, <laughs> but yeah. he's still young, as I said. <laughs> but I, I really like his attitude, and, and he... Went to Turkey. He, he obviously he's the former Liverpool player, and then, well, he couldn't make it at Liverpool to play regularly. He went to Turkey, and now he's signed for Sporting Lisbon, and I think it's a good career move because now he's playing every week. He's immediately back in the national team radar, and he was in this in the subs bench in both games against Chile and and Venezuela. So I think he's got a good chance. Mm-hmm. Of playing as a starter in, in against Bolivia in the third week because Rojo is is suspended. Uh, other than him, you uh, think Zanetti could get a callback because he was like that for the first two games. Like. Yeah, yeah. I think he moving to the right back position. I think Hugo Campanero has been impressing. Mm. In, in I've heard quite a lot of playing for Napoli talk about yeah. people wanting Campanero to yeah. former yeah. Moron defender, the former Deportivo Moron. Not not to be confused with. Sporting moron, yeah. <laughs> sporting moron. Now he he was involved in a car accident recently in the, during the Argentine winter, the European summer. And well, he's been playing fantastic for Na- mm. for Napoli. And on the downside, he's 31. So this is the old argument. What do you do? Do, do you call just the youngsters who will be um, of a good age? come World Cup 2014 or you call the, the veterans that you know can do a job right now because I still think uh, Sanetti could be used I mean I don't know if uh, he could be playing uh, right up to up to the next World Cup and, or throughout the World Cup qualifiers but maybe at, at the beginning when you need some experience when you need some guys who know what to do especially when you play this system in which you have Three at the back, three central midfielders at the back, and then you have two wing-backs who can join in the attack and then track back, as we've been mentioning many times, discussing Sabella's tactics. I think uh, think Sanetti could do a better job than Sabaleta because he knows how to go forward a bit better than Sabaleta, in my opinion. And and of course, there is the the other part of the argument, or the other um, opinion, and that Sanetti is, all, is, is already 37, 36. This is very he shouldn't yeah. play anymore. And you should give Sabaleta more time to to get in, but to 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 get experience. But at the same time, if you if you have a youngster and you know he's going to be your starter, fair enough. But do we know Sabaleta is going to be the starter mm-hmm. at right back for Argentina? I don't know. I, I even think Ivan Pichut is better at this position mm-hmm. and, and in this function. He wants uh, Sabela wants to. Uh, that that particular right back uh, player. It's more of an play. attacking threat, I think. Yeah, of like course. Forward and, yeah, and he's good defending too. Yeah. He's got a bit more pace, I think. Uh, he's, I think he's better uh, with the ball at his feet. Uh, he's not been on top of his form recently, but I think in this kind of system, he will be, he will be perfect. 
Hughie Buffett. Well, it's a very similar kind of debate we had, I think it was even last week when we were talking about Riquelme coming back to the national team. Yeah. I mean, he's four years younger than Zanetti, let's remember, at 33, but we can't imagine he'd, he'd play on as long as um, hmm. Zanetti. One big difference is that uh, whilst Zanetti is losing a little bit of his pace, Riquelme's body is visibly beginning to break down. Yeah, that's yeah, and at the same time he's playing some of his first best football mm-hmm. in years. Yeah. I see Riquelme play now, and I said, "Are there many midfielders in the world who could dictate the rhythm of a game?" And there's not many that can make the perfect pass. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Especially not in the Argentine team right now. Yeah. If we can uh, move on to uh, perhaps the slightly happier bit now, if we go back in time to Friday. Yeah. Uh, having talked about it already. Long ago now. Some of the good. <laughs> we were so happy that. Uh, one of the things was that much as they, they were both very poor actually um, last night and it's the first time that I, I've said this particularly about one of the partnership um, but the two guys up front mm. Lionel Messi and Gonzalo Higuain on Friday were absolutely superb and I think yeah. that's got to be promising for the future on yesterday they were marked out of the game they, they found it very difficult mm. to, to do very much and they were completely isolated by a midfield which if it looked like it was going to be fairly dynamic before the match started, certainly didn't turn out to be that way in the game. But on Friday, they were brilliant. Higuain got a hat-trick. Messi broke a two-and-a-half-year spell without a goal for Argentina uh, to put them 2-0 up. Superb. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for Higuain, uh, the first three shots he took, they were they went all in. And he found very good uh, chances because Chile, as Dan said, they were a bit suicidal and the first yeah. the, the first goal was awful, the, the first goal comes from a, from a free kick that was mm. very dangerous for Argentina and then well, the centre back took it like the yeah. Waldo, Waldo Ponce, Ponce yeah. took the free kick went straight into the wall and he realised he was now 70 metres up the pitch with no chance of getting back and, and with Di Maria too I mean, he had to chase Di Maria how, yeah. how can he do that I mean. and then a fantastic fantastic ball by Di Maria and Higuain finished it brilliantly like yeah. So um, that 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 is not surprising in my opinion, for me, because Iwain, we all know how uh, how well can he play, and his goal scoring record for Argentina up to last Friday's game, he had the same number of goals in the same number of appearances as Gabriel Batistuta. Yeah, I think and be, a better record, a better record than than, than Hernán Crespo even. You, you so mean you mean to say that the same number of goals as Batistuta had after that number of games? Exactly. Yeah, he's not, not uh, Batistuta. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, excuse excuse my English, but um, yeah, at, at, at the same at the same point of his international yeah. career. Exactly. Yeah. Let's say, for, for example, I don't have the numbers with me. Uh, I know he's got thirteen in. Either 19 or 20 games. Mm. That sounds about right. And that was the same record Batistuta had. So mm. that look that really looks promising. And he's very young. I think yeah, we don't have to worry about finding a number nine mm. while he's there. Yeah. I think. And, and for listeners who are unaware, Batistuta is Argentina's all-time top high scorer uh, in competitive matches, at least. Yeah. I think in, in, uh, in well. history. Yeah. And, and the second is Hernán Crespo, and Iwain is on pace to beat Crespo clearly by the end of his career and another very satisfying thing on Friday was for Leo Messi to score after something like 16 games or whatever it has to be said that in the process he created most of Argentina's goals yeah. like he had like 10 assists I think it was quite fitting actually that he broke his um, 
his, not exactly duck, but let's say his goal drought after a brilliant three ball from Gonzalo Higuain, because a lot of Higuain's goals in the last two yeah. and a half years have been from brilliant yeah, Messi. Yeah. Yeah. Now Higuain has to give him like 10 more assists yeah, or something. Like that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was something that we knew. We knew Argentina had a lot of power up front and, and we were tested uh, by Chile, but we were tested when we were already 2-0 up and yeah, we had some moments of discomfort at the back but it's, it's always going to happen if you attack uh, with, a, with a lot of men and at some point during certain points of the game we did that and when you're already 3-0 up you, you kind of relax a little bit and but I don't think that that result was at any point in any danger no, it didn't look like it. No, absolutely not. And it would have been very interesting, I think, last night if Argentina had have converted one of the early chances they had, I think it would have been a completely different game if yeah. they scored early and Venezuela had to actually chase the game rather than just you know stop Argentina from playing yeah. to be a little bit unfair. Yeah, and for all the domination Venezuela enjoyed and all the possession and all the chances, yeah. they could only score from a free kick, from a set piece. Yeah. A corner kick uh, headed in by... Amore Fernando Morevieta, who, by the way, uh, played one game against Venezuela, representing Spain, representing yeah. País Vasco, the, ah, the Basque country. Yeah, the Basque country. Yeah. They have a national team yeah. and they play friendly. And he played against Venezuela, and now he's representing Venezuela. I've seen that he's played for um, three national teams in his career, which yeah. I don't know if that's a record or not, but it's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, he's definitely played. For it's three, definitely yeah. Colombia, Argentina, yeah, Spain. Yeah, he's yeah. in pretty um, pretty high company. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the others? Uh, the other national team well, he played for the well, he played Spain. For the Spain youth team and uh, he played for the Basque team and he was called up by Del Bosque but ne- never made it mm. out, uh, out of, the, of the bench so mm-hmm. he stayed at, uh, on the bench mm. so yeah I don't know what else to, to say about that uh, well, Venezuela game yeah. I think well, one thing we can probably talk about you know to widen it a bit is that game also showed to us, you mentioned you know, the climate and what that did. What this first week showed to us, in generally speaking for the qualifiers, is that the home teams in South America have such an advantage. I think out of the eight games, we had six, Bolivia home, lost. Yeah. Yeah, six home wins, a draw, and only one away win, which was Colombia against Bolivia yesterday. Yeah. And yeah, you're always going to have such an advantage if you say that Argentina were playing in uh, Puerto La Cruz, which is... Um, a city on the Caribbean coast and they played I think there about 8, 9 o'clock in the evening and they still had kind of 30 degree heat, 70, 80 degree humidity. Yeah, 10 minutes into the game they started to get close up shots of players and the shirts were already yeah, kind of dark with sweat good. all over yeah, it. Yeah. So. And I'm sure the sweat didn't smell as Asilo would say but... <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure. No. <laughs> Come but, yeah. but examples. For that it's kind of, it's always so difficult because everywhere you go in... Hmm. In South America, as an away team, you're going to have a unique set of challenges. And if you haven't been through that before, I mean, I'm guessing there was yeah. a lot of people in the Argentine team that had never played in Venezuela before. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's all so much diff- more difficult than say an English team going to France or an English team going to Germany. It's mm-hmm. every game, you know, you've got altitude, you've got heat, you've got humidity. Yeah. So no, I think you have fans throwing bottles at you. Yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. I think one of the things. <laughs> I think one of the things I've seen. From what I've seen of the the press coverage afterwards, is that there's been no kind of disrespecting Venezuelans saying, "Oh no, this is the worst defeat, the biggest disaster ever." And I think that's decent, you know. They recognise it was tough, a bad day, and they're not kind of disrespecting Venezuela, which yeah, it's good. 
the only kind of surprising. Or the most sort of hyperbolic word that I've heard used about it is historic, and that's not really hyperbole. No, it's, 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 it's historic, historic yeah, result. Completely historic. Uh, but yeah, nobody's been comparing it to the, the Monumental Asso in '93 or I heard some voices uh, saying comparing this to the 6-1 defeat in Bolivia, which I think is ridiculous. I yeah. think it's a no. <laughs> there's nothing to be compared. And it has to be said that this is the best Venezuela ever, and this is by far not the best the best Argentina no. we we have seen. So um, it will. It was going to happen at some point. They they beat Brazil in the past. They beat Uruguay five mm. times. It was only a matter of time until they got some points off, off of Argentina. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't make a drama out of it. Yeah. I, I would just, yeah. if anything, I think it's a good wake up call for Sabella. And going back to your point about the humidity, the heat, and yeah. the, the home field advantage. Yeah. Next month we have Bolivia at home. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure where whether that game will be played in Buenos Aires. Could be in Mendoza. Okay. Could be in Mendoza. I, I I for one, even if I'm from Buenos Aires, I I prefer this game to be played in the provinces. We saw like 70 percent of the stadium was empty on Friday, or mm. maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I mean there were a lot of empty seats. Yeah, I think 28,000 capacity. Tw- yeah, the crowd was even. So I think that's ridiculous for for oh, such yeah. a big stadium to the, to. And you take that game to Cordoba, you take it to yeah. Mendoza, you take it to Rosario, you fill it up. If Maradona had been manager, they would have sold out the Monumental. Well, yeah. yeah you think? Tells you something about the mentality of some of the fans. Yeah, Could, I yeah probably. No, maybe if Regan. I'm, I'm not suggesting. Maybe that if Regan was playing, it would have been better, but it would have been a sellout with Maradona. If charge. they hadn't charged eighty pesos for a popular, that is well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was a working day. It was at night, and yeah. the weather was terrible. Mm. And it was a long weekend. With the Monday, Monday was was not a working day, so many people left. Well, anyway, that that will be making excuses because uh, if the pe- if people wanted to go there, they they, mm. they would have yeah. filled up the stadium. So, without going too far away from the from this point I wanted to make. We have Bolivia at home and then a couple of day, days later we go to Barranquilla in, uh, to face Colombia. Which will be a very so similar condition. It will be yes. very similar. Be a better team. Yeah. So uh, this time Colombia, I don't think they will be resting the, 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 their players for their third game, yeah. which will be a few days before uh, Colombia and Argentina in Barranquilla. So I don't know. Um, Maybe it will be advisable for Savela to <coughs> rest some of the big guns, mm. uh, use kind of a, an alter, alternative uh, team to, to, be, to, to, to play against Bolivia. And you'll be favourites anyway. If you play with a big team, you'll be favourites anyway. And I think that will be a, a, a good idea, something that I will... That will I would consider if I was the manager. So maybe we will see that. And if not, we can we can suffer from the same from the same yeah. thing we suffer with the with the tiredness and, and the heat yeah. and humidity. One exactly. one thing that I wanted to mention as well is we've had a question from uh, from Jian Guan, who is on Twitter as at Polar Panda G. Um, some magnificent usernames some people have saying hi. Like the avatar. Yeah, it's, it's a nice one, isn't it? Um, saying, hi Sam, please talk about Di Maria as a central midfielder on the podcast. I was so frustrated with him every time he was played in that position. And I think it's a point worth making, because we, certainly myself and Seba, have both said 
numerous occasions that we don't like Di Maria. On Friday night, I was really impressed with him. I was just about everybody. Last night, he was as bad as anybody else. On Friday, he was kind of the, the wide man on the left of a 4-4-2, which almost became a 4-3-3 when Di Maria moved forward to joining Wayne and Messi. Um, last night, as, uh, as Gian suggests, he, he was played as a central midfielder in, in, in that central three alongside Mascherano and Jose Sosa. He's not a central midfielder, is he? He's not. So this may not be the, the least obvious piece of analysis anyone's ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, what Maradona made him do uh, during the World Cup. He had to track back a lot, so if if Di Maria is good at, at, at something, it has to be at, at dribbling mm. and and taking on a, on a defender and going past him and then hopefully make the right decision, which is almost which never is the case. Always the BF, <laughs> but it's not. It's I don't see a point in using him. To make him chase uh, the opposing fullback, or no, no. or to try to cover and try to help the team win the ball back, that's not his his function. He shouldn't be. And I don't know. He he went from being one of the best players on Friday to being a disaster on on, on <laughs> against Venezuela, uh, and he played like like he plays most of the time for Argentina. He's He's not very good uh, playing for Argentina. He's, he's never been so. Um, I'm, hope, I'm, I'm hoping he he can get a couple of good performances as he did against Chile. But I don't see I don't see that happening if he plays in that position. Uh, there's no point. He should play up front. Mm. Yeah, and see got, if he can take on a defender. I thought so. I was again like Sam really impressed with what I saw. With of him on, on Friday against Chile because yeah he's, I think he started off technically as this, yeah, the left midfielder in the 4 4 but he had a lot of license to drift he could get up he could go into the middle he could go to the right and it kind of suited him down to the ground but yeah on Tuesday he was just absolutely annihilated basically by the Venezuelan midfield and he's, we all know what Di Maria is he's not a battler he's not a tackler he's, he doesn't mark he's you know, he gets the ball, he can beat the first man, and then we'll see what he can he can do with it. Yeah. And you have to, if he's going to be in the team, you have to use him like that. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Seba would rather not see him in the team. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick him. Yeah. But if if he's playing, there's another thing. If he gets the ball near the midfield line, he doesn't know what to do. He's he's he, he's not effective there. He has to get the ball near near the area and well, see. Well, apart from that wonderful pass he did for Higuain. Yeah, like, well, that was a counter attack. Yeah, that, yeah, there was nobody marking yeah, yeah. him. I mean, that, yeah, that was a one one off. And I'm not taking any credit <laughs> off of him. I don't like him, but credit what he's due. I think he had a fantastic game on Friday. But then the the, the thing that really annoyed me was, and I'm not one for calling Pastore. And saying he should start, and I want to leave the manager work and, and see what is best for the team. But to introduce Pastore with only three minutes or five minutes to go yes, and change Di Maria, I mean that was that was too late. All the substitutions by Sabella were really really late, and and again, I'm not turning my back on Sabella. I'm hundred percent. Of course, of course. Yeah, but people will say, hey, but now you're criticizing <laughs> Sabella. No, I mean. I'm thinking it, but I won't say that. I want to be objective, and I, I really like the man. I really like 
I like him as a manager, I like him as a professional, and he's got my full support. And he can have uh, one game plan wrong, and he can make a couple of substitutions wrong, but I'm, uh, I'm thinking I'm, I'm confident he will learn from that. If he doesn't learn, well, we'll see. But <laughs> uh, he's not the same as the three previous managers we had, and we should appreciate that and give him a chance and, and, mm. and support him. A couple of points that Australian fans made on... He's been tweeting me a little bit while we start to record. It's obviously not teaching. No, it's very suspicious. Um, he's in bed with a glass of wine watching telly. Yeah, he just didn't pass it coming out into the rain, I don't yeah. think. But he, he says, first of all, after he, after these two qualifiers, he's a lot more convinced about an idea that he had, well, that we were discussing towards the end of last season, especially in playing Mascherano at centre-back, uh, because the midfield did OK without him against Chile, um, with Branja at the base, albeit Branja's. Mm. As uh, Ed Malian has pointed out in reply, Branja is not likely to be uh, playing in the World Cup squad. But mm. if you can get together a decent midfield without Mascherano, then there's, uh, would there be an argument for putting him at centre back rather than yeah. say Demi Chalice, who didn't have the best of matches yesterday? This I know at least one yeah. listener may get a bit angry with us for saying it. <laughs> this has been something I've been arguing for quite a few months now. I think I remember making these points on one of our podcasts months ago. I think before the Copa America. And also kind of wrote a piece about it for my employers this week. I'd love to see Mastiolano give a, get a go in, in the centre. It has to be worth giving him a go yeah. against Bolivia. He can't do any worse so. than the back three that went out against Venezuela at least. Yeah, one thing that Mascherano mentioned was that at Barcelona he already thinks and trains and prepares as a centre-back mm. because he knows Pep Guardiola use him, uses mm. him as a centre-back. And I'm not saying he forgot how to play uh, uh, as a midfielder because that's his yeah, natural position. Right, yeah, he's been doing for, forever. And in Argentina, he never played as a centre-back. And so, what Sabela said was that he would consider playing Mascherano as a centre-back, but he wants him in the centre of midfield because he's the best centre midfielder we have. And I think that's a valid point. And we could try different options, but I'm, I'm also thinking... Mascherano is already 27 as, uh, as well, and I don't know, maybe Isabella wants a big physical centre-back mm. with, with a bit of height, and we could have some, we could we could try uh, uh, Mateo Musacchio, Gonzalo Rodriguez at Villarreal, both, both are playing fantastic for them, for, for Villarreal, uh, Juan Forlín at Espanol, he was... Federico uh, Fernández. Federico Fernández, yeah. he is already considered by Isabella because of his estudiantes' uh, past. Uh, and also because he's got a lot of potential, but I, I think we have a, we have some options to play at centre back, and we should start giving them yeah, chances. Sure, yeah, sure. Uh, one other thing that, that Dan's then mentioned. Uh, well, first of all, regarding the fullbacks, he, was, he says I was also going to mention Banfield Nicolas Tagliafico as a future left back. He says I can have that too as a point that I'm stealing, but I'm crediting him with it. Um, <laughs> Very kind, yeah. That's a good one. I mean, Tagliafico yeah. involved in Argentina's youth side. So I think he's going to be there or thereabouts yeah. before too long. And he also reckons Hector Canteros could come into midfield, of course, after the performance he gave against Brazil, alongside Vanego or Gago. Yeah, Tagliafico could have been the Olympic team left back. Mm. If is he, he's stupid. Is he goes to the American games, he's not. I don't, I, don't I, don't so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. But he could have been the Olympic team left back if the stupid. Mm. Uh, you can edit that. <laughs> if the stupid Berazzo. Didn't fa- didn't fail to qualify, but yeah, he's a, he's he's already playing every week for Banfield. He's very good uh, in defence, and 
he's got a bit of pace. I like him. I like him. He's still early days. I wouldn't put him right now to play for the national team, but he's one to consider for the future. Yeah. Absolutely. He will be something like 22, 23 by the time the World Cup comes. So I think he's he's another one to to keep in mind. And would you say the same about Canteros? Maybe not ready yet, but... Yeah, Canteros for, for a mid, midfield position, I, I really like him. He's kind of a similar game to Eber Banega, maybe with a bit more brains. And... Uh, yeah, I, w- I would definitely consider him. He made a big impression in the first leg against Brazil in this friendly cup competition. Um, not so much in the second, but it was a much more difficult game. But I will still consider him and, and maybe start uh, bringing him up slowly. And, and I know one, you know, one player I'd like to mention who I'm sure you two, well, Sam more than Sebra probably accuse me of all sorts of uh, bias here, but the player who's uh, impressed me almost more than any in midfield in the Premier is uh, Pelletieri for Racing. I thought you were going to say Jacob. No, Jacob, I wouldn't go for, but Pelletieri has been fantastic. He was, I believe, in the two Brazil squads, but he didn't get, I think he might have came on as a sub. No, 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 he didn't get him as a sub. But he's kind of a real, you know... I guess more of a Mascherano midfielder than anything It's very else. similar to Mascherano. Yeah, but with a lot of attitude, he tackles, he chases, and he's, you know, he can also kind of switch play forward. And It'd be interesting if he keeps playing well for Racing, as he has done pretty much consistently all season. It'd be very interesting to see if he can kind of knock on the door a bit. Mm. I think he must be, what, 25, 26? Uh, I'm not so, sure, not so no. sure about his age, but he has to be... About that age. Yeah, I'm going to say 24 and I'm going to look up on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep talking, guys. Yeah, he's a former Lanús player. Yeah. And he was very good at Lanús, if yeah. I remember rightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, this is his first season for Racing and he's been probably the best player. Yeah, probably the first season in a very good team, like we should yeah. mention as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another option. Further and further away from objectivity here. But <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's another option for that central yeah. midfield role and I wouldn't rule out Fernando Gago if he starts playing yeah. for Roma regularly and there's definitely options in midfield I think more than you'd say in central defence yeah. he's 29 oh 29 well you know as we're saying age doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there are, the general point is there are certainly options uh, arguably in the Argentine league as well as, as the ones yeah. that will be uh, aware of um, which seems like a good cue to, to now take a quick break I don't know about Dan but I could definitely use a refill as well I'll play some music and then we'll come back we've got a bit of a mixed bag of stuff to talk about we're going to do a bit of a Copa Argentina update because we've not talked in a great level of detail about it yet um, we'll give a little report on what River Plate have been doing for the last few days since the last podcast went online because they've had a relatively okay week I would say since the Primera teams aren't playing we might as well yeah um, we don't have have any Primera action to look back on of course Um, and then we the three of us will all be attempting our very best Australian accents to try and uh, do Mystic Dan because he has emailed in his predictions so we'll take a few of those at a time Uh, don't go away
Good. We're, we're going to talk for a little while about the Copa Argentina because the fourth round of uh, qualifiers is uh, finishing tonight with Estudiantes de Buenos Aires versus Deportivo Cambaceras. Isn't it? Cambaceres. Um, yeah. We've just been discussing these and going through various Wikipedia pages trying to work out which which matches are giant killings and finding out about some teams in some cases that we haven't heard about. Well, certainly me in English haven't haven't necessarily heard about before. Um, there's been a bit of a giant killing this evening just before we started recording with Deportivo Riestra beating Acasuso 4-2 on penalties after a 0-0 draw that was uh, I don't think any of us saw that one coming guys did we? Yeah, um, Sportivo Italiano Acasuso could be the, the, the smallest giant ever but <laughs> yeah. you, could, you could take it <laughs> Sportivo Italiano have put Tempele out in one of the ties between teams we've actually heard of uh, 2-0 on penalties after a 1-1 draw General La Madrid uh, who's Norwegian fan uh, we, is a regular listener I can't, I can't remember your Twitter name I'm afraid he changed hello. it to La Madrid now he has done yeah you're, you're right Madrid, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. it have beaten Nueva Chicago and that's a genuine giant yeah, <laughs> we, we were talking about um, La Madrid whether they were going to stay up in uh, Primera C which is Argentina's fourth division and they've beaten Nueva Chicago who are a, a big club 2-1 so well done them Huracán de Tres Arroyos, that's probably a bit of a giant killing as well, actually they've gone out to Racing de Olavarria. Huracán de Tres Arroyos have been in the Primera since I've started following Argentine football. So. We also have Platense losing to Villa Dal- Dalmine. Platense are a big club. They were always in first division when, when, I, when I was a kid and they were famous for pulling this magical relegation skate trick and they, they were always always favourites to go down and somehow they escaped they even beat River in the final round they did everything that was necessary to avoid yeah. relegation it's a, it's a funny story that maybe I will leave it for some other time but it's a funny story how they got the name how they got the shirt the, 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 the colour they play in brown mm. in, in, as far as I know is the only team playing in brown full brown outfit mm. um, and it's a funny story how they got the name and, 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 and the nickname for another time. So uh, there's uh, Gimnasi Tiro, who, that's not Tiro Federal actually, is it? They're not the Rosario side. from No, Salta. And they, they've been in first division recently yeah. too. So. They've gone out to Central Norte, who I've two never very, heard of. So they're, they're two <laughs> very big teams in Salta with a lot of tradition and, and, and massive. But in, in my opinion, the pick from this latest round was uh, San Martín de Tucumán. Losing on penalties to Atletico Policial. Who we don't know very much about, uh, other than that they share a nickname with Boca Juniors. Mm. <laughs> They're from Catamarca. Yeah. They're from Catamarca, the same province where um, the defender Cata Diaz, he's got his nickname because of the province he was born in. Daniel Cata Diaz, who. And, and they've got I've just realised I've gone down to change the language to Spanish on the Wikipedia entry they've got an, an entry in English an entry in Polish and none in Spanish at all <laughs> those are the only two uh, languages that their Wikipedia is available in which is tiny yeah I, I'd love to think that they're in some way affiliated with Met Police back in England who, who have a team well we can only hope but um, I somewhat yeah. doubt it we also have um, Saka Chispas in, in the last 64 which a team we magnificent the spark generators is a satellite <laughs> yeah chispas is the word in Spanish for spark and saga could be generate yeah. or get or 
So there's a spark scatter or the spark <laughs> generator. Let's go to the spark generator. Yeah, yeah, spark like generator. Yeah. Yeah. And El through as we've mentioned a couple of times in sort of recent months on Hand of Body. Got very good reasons, that too. Particularly because it's the way you were born, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah. They play in uh, white, black and white stripes. Same as Newcastle, for example. As well as um, Seba's local club. Juventus. Colegiales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story because they, they, it's, it's called Colegiales. It's the same uh, area of Buenos Aires where I live, but they they don't play there. They're, they're, and they're not even from there. They're from another place outside of Buenos Aires, going to the north. And they play against Comunicaciones and they beat them. But Comunicaciones is closest to mm. the actual place called Colegiales. Anyway, that's. And we, had we also had a Corba derby there. Tashere is beating Racing, and Tashere is obviously winning that. Couple of better runners if we go back a few years. Like yeah, yeah, and we have we, we mentioned Oracan de Tres Arroyos going out to Racing de Olavarria, but we've also had another Racing putting out another Oracan, um, Racing de Tucumán. De Treleo. De Treleo, sorry, thank you, Seba, <laughs> versus Oracan de Comodoro Rivadavia. That's, a, That's in the Patagonia. Both in Patagonia. Patagonia. Yeah, both Patagonia. Patagonia and Derby there. No? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so as we said, we've got Estudiantes de Buenos Aires versus Defensores de Camaceres to come this yeah, evening. Let's not forget about Ariel Ortega's club, uh, Defensores de Belgrano. Quite they, right. they won away against Almagro, and that is another kind of a surprise. So now we have a, a, a real possibility that because Defensores de Belgrano will go to a draw and they will be allocated to one of the four main brackets that, or sections of the, of, a, of a bracket we have. And real playing is in one of those brackets, and they could have, they they could. I think even without Or- Ortega, that game would be interesting because I don't yeah. know if you've seen how close the Defensores del Berrano Stadium is yeah. to the Red Flag one as well. Yeah. Six, seven blocks can't be any more, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it wouldn't Absolutely. be very far. Yeah, could be a very so fierce local derby there. We can now mention as well a bit. Um, we, we were asked by, by La Madrid, actually, wasn't it, to discuss the format of the Copa a few weeks ago and struggled slightly because it was all very sort of mixed up. But now that these qualifiers have almost ended, we can say that these sides are going to be sorted into in, into a number of places so that the, the teams from the top two divisions, top two, yeah. yeah, the top two divisions, which is 40 clubs, have already been sorted into these four brackets, which Seba mentions, and each one of them will play against one of the sides that's won uh, one of these qualifiers. And as we've hinted at before, each of the sort of big classical rivalries are being kept apart so that Boca, for instance, can't meet River until the final, Independiente can't meet Racing until the final. Vélez can't um, play Ferro, I'm guessing. No, Vélez presumably can't play Ferro. I don't Ferro know, I don't the know if they stretch it that far. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to hope that they can do. Um, <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so we don't obviously know who's going to be playing who just yet. Um, and we're not just going to read out a list because it would be nothing more than a list of no, but for example, there, there is a possibility. But there, there is a possibility that Estudiantes and Gimnasia could meet in the semi-finals. They, they haven't been kept apart. They're in the same. Uh, okay. They're in the same bracket. I just saw. Yeah, River are in the same bracket. They could potentially play a semi-final against San Lorenzo mm-hmm. or Lanús. Lanús, yeah, Instituto de Córdoba, Unión de Santa Fe. Um, I think they might mean Santa Fe. I'm not sure. Yeah, that could be any of those. And yeah, Gimnasia and Grima La Plata are going to be away. I wonder how they've drawn those Colonna away as well. Yeah, I wouldn't look too much into this draw we're looking at. Yeah, we'll try and build out. We can, yeah. we can see if there's some interesting games around. So maybe. November will be uh, the start of this round of 64. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, yeah the twenty second of November to the fifteenth of December, yeah. which coincides nicely with the end of the the Apertura. Mm-hmm. So it might well be there might be another couple of giant killings in the making there if if the title race is going on into the the start of December. Let's say that that could be interesting. Um, yeah, that, that's. I don't know whether it's worth kind of continuing to. No, I think to talk about that, but this, uh, that, that's a, a brief rundown. Let's say you never get a, a brief on this tournament in English anywhere else. So basically, yeah. not in Spanish, to be honest. I'm not even So. If you've just been incredibly bored by the last ten minutes, please feel try and feel lucky that you've heard it yeah. because uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're giving you stuff that you don't get elsewhere, as yeah. Seba says. That's what makes us the best Argentine English language podcast. Absolutely. River Plate update now. If uh, you two don't mind me wittering no, for, for a brief. We minute. didn't have any games for uh, Racing, obviously being in the no. Primera, so Absolutely. We, we, have, we have two Tierras giving an assist for Colombia against Bolivia, but that's another matter. Yeah, Last um, <laughs> week I, I was mentioning that River so far, uh, as Seba kind of predicted before the start of the season, have been driven as much by individual talent as by a kind of unified um, tactical plan and, and teamwork which is almost inevitable as I pointed out given that Matias Almeida is a relative rookie in managerial terms I think we could probably have all agreed although none of us said it on the pod that it was going to be a matter of time before River clicked and somebody ended up being on the end of a pretty nasty beating but I really wasn't expecting it to come quite as quickly as it did because a couple of hours after I got the podcast online River kicked off against Atlanta English Dan's old local side from uh, from the barrio English Dan lived in when he first moved here in fact my, my girlfriend's local side as well although she doesn't have the slightest interest in football um, Atlanta who came up to be Nacional last season as champions of Primera B which is the third division in Argentina and it was all very bloody and vicious and Atlanta ended up getting beaten 7-1 with Fernando Cavanaghi scoring a hat-trick it was a genuinely impressive performance not by Atlanta no <laughs> no certainly not um and then at the weekend, uh, River played uh, somebody else. Huracan. Thank you very much, yeah, Huracan. And 1-2-1. One, one. Yeah, there was... Much less spectacular, but in its own way... No, but I think equally. that... River fans, they... They, they saw uh, two very important things from the same team in one week. And one was a fantastic display of goal-scoring ability and... and, and and uh, the, the, the oh, and it's way to play openly, play yeah, yeah. yeah. ruthless. The, kill, the, yeah, well. the killing, the, the killer instinct. Yeah, I, I was looking for a way to say. It. And then they saw against Huracan the fighting spirit yeah. and and the the ability to overcome uh, going behind very early in in the game. So and they, also. A- True golasso from Martin Aguirre for the yeah. the winner, a yeah. brilliant sort of semi volley, semi overhead kick, which was magnificent to see. And against one of the teams that was recently, mm. they were recently in first division, so it's a big, it's a big, was a big game, and to come back from one nil down to win it, uh, I think it's a, it was very positive. It was a very positive week for, for River fans. Not so much for Atlanta, I know. After that game in the 7-1, they played at home against um, Instituto, I believe, from Córdoba. Yeah, and they lost 3-0 at home. The fans were absolutely... 4-0. Yeah, 4-0 was in the end. The fans were absolutely livid, as you can imagine, conceding 11 goals in a week. And the fans went over and kind of did a humble apology, threw their shirts into the 
into the popular and, and they fell through the Ajada no. from straight back. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I was joking. No, no. It actually happened, yeah, so for any oh, Atlanta well. fans out there, it's not going too well at the moment. And no, by the way, today's today's Atlanta's anniversary or birthday or mm. it's not gonna be a very happy birthday in Bishop Baseball, I don't think. No. Um River, you mentioned Instituto as well, English down. Instituto are second in, yep. in the uh, B Nacional at the moment, and they play River this weekend. Um, so it's be a kind of it's looking down yeah. through the league table, most of the sides, not all by any stretch of the imagination, but most of the teams that River have played so far are in and around the sort of lower to mid table right. kind of area of the table. They played a couple who were who were up there. So Instituto de Cordoba against River this weekend is going to be. One of the points of the season, I think, where we really find out what this it's Riverside have made of. Probably going to be one of the biggest tests of the, of the season so far. Because yeah. Instituto, they were in the Primera a couple of years back, I believe. And they were. Yeah, they're like a big club, one of these big kind of Cordoba, probably one of the big two in Cordoba, you could say, with uh, Belgrano at the moment. And they really want to get up with their with their neighbours. And mm. now they've got just a very good team, really. No, yeah, they have a... A, a, a massive fan base. He's a former club uh, of Alejandro Faulin, <laughs> Queens Park Rangers, but also, no, but also most not most notably Mario Kempes. Uh-huh. Uh, that was. Uh, you got Kempes. Ardiles. Anosi Ardiles. Those two. One or two listeners in um, mm-hmm. in England might have heard of Roman Diaz as well, who shouldn't be confused with Ramon Diaz. No relation. No, absolutely not. No, but yeah, it's a, it's a team that really they're doing really well, and they have a lot of uh, uh, youngsters that are showing that they're really up to the sta- to the task. And I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they fight all the way through with the Liga. It's the old club of our favourite players ever, Hugo Barrientos. Oh boy. Yeah. And um, it's going to be another inter- an interesting game as well because for the last few rounds, Instituto have been playing before River and have been winning their match, which puts them two points above River and then mm. obliging River to get the win as well to stay top and River so far have been doing it. So this is a chance for River to open up a four-point cushion on possibly their most sort of uh, their peskiest um, followers so far. So we feel in... Uh, we feeling pretty confident at this point, Sam, of, uh, of an instant return to Primera? Well... The, Top of the league after what a quarter of the season it you'd have to be. Yeah. So so far so good. And as I say, um, and they feed it as well. And they feed it as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm beaten with, with they've won won six and drawn four. I think now after the two two wins in the last week. Um, and just uh, as I said, the 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 team performances are kind of sporadic. I mean, okay, we've had a, a really good performance obviously last week against Atlanta. And if, if they can keep that kind of level up now that they've found it initially, then things can only improve. I, I very much doubt they'll go the whole season unbeaten or anything like that. But so far, it's, it's certainly looking good for what's ever said before the beginning of the season again. The individual quality ultimately yeah, rises to the top. As long as they stay clear of injuries. Yeah. They've got a couple at the moment, but fortunately, one of them is to Rogelio Funes Mori, so it doesn't matter too much. <laughs> the other is to Chori Dominguez, which is a much more worrying, but. They've got on all right without him in the last yeah. couple of matches. I heard he's suffering from panic attacks. Yeah, that was one of the that's reasons right. that could have been given for the Orican. That's, that's sad to hear. That's really. Mm. I only had one in my in my life, and I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you're listening, Chori, then we know you. Are. 
And if you're listening, then presumably you understand English, so if you'd like to come on and have a pod at any point. <laughs> give, us a, give us a shout. We're very gentle. Um, and we'll never call you a sausage sandwich. No. No. You just, you just be chori. Australian. Maybe Dan. Alejandro. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to play Australian Dan's intro music now. Uh, Mystic Dan's intro music, sorry, even though he's not here. And then we're going to bring up the email that he sent us with his predictions. Um, we're going to try and do these in Australian accents. So if you're an Australian listener... Don't be offended. Don't be offended. Um, we'll be right back. Here goes. As we say, if you're Australian... Please don't be offended. We're aware that these are quite bad. And don't laugh at our accents. No. Um, well, that, that, that's possibly the... I think they should laugh. They should uh, certainly feel free. I'm sensitive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, here we go. Okay, uh, we're going to do a few of these each, so I'm going to read out the first three. English Dan's going to take the middle four, and then Seba's going to do the last three. Um, so I'm going to go for Olimpo to beat Tigre. Uh, Newells and Arsenal a draw. And for San Lorenzo to win against Banfield. All right, and I can see Independiente against uh, Godoy Cruz as going in a draw, as is Union against All Boys. Uh, Racing is going to beat San Martín, and I've got a feeling that Estudiantes against uh, Rafaela is going to be a draw as well. And now the native Argentine is going to attempt an Australian accent. This could be interesting. Good eye, mate. That's, that's, about, that's about all I can say in Australian, really. So Argentinos are going to be Colón. No, sorry, this is all the way around. Colón going to be Argentinos. Boca to beat Belgrano. And Lanús to beat Vélez with a couple of tries and a drop kick. <laughs> well done, Seba. And we apologise to both Australian Dan and to all of our other Australian listeners. I apologise for nothing. And possibly just to anybody who's not a fan of bad accents. Um, <laughs> I have some many friends in Australia, but I'm not going to share these with them. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, you were okay, sir. But you... <laughs> uh, any any particular tasty, um, particularly tasty fixtures coming up this weekend? In in your opinions, guys, I'm kind of looking forward to Lanús Velas. If I need to see whether either of them can kickstart the season again after falling off a bit recently I think it's got to be the last two really you've got um, Boca G <laughs> but you've got Boca um, at home to Belgrano and then Lanús Vélez like two massive massive games there and I think two games which are probably pretty hard to predict Dan's gone for two home wins there but I think draws are very likely even a couple of away wins possible I'm not I think I'm they're not the games confident that Belgrano will get in the way when he gets to Boca well they've already taken down uh, Riva San Lorenzo and Independiente they have they're, yeah, collecting, Boca... they're collecting grande heads and mm. they might want another one I'm, I'm gonna uh, Independiente versus Godoy Cruz could be a, a fairly good one as well depending on Independiente have a Copa Sudamericana game tonight mm-hmm. the second leg um, and Godoy Cruz have one next Wednesday so they're both gonna be a kind of different stages of preparation or winding down or whatever from, the, from those ties so that one could be interesting and pretty hard to call as then well. There's also a big uh, relegation clash at the top of the list with um, Olimpo against Tigre, mm. which could be a very very interesting game as well. Um, Racing away to San Martin, a game that Racing absolutely have to win, no questions about it. Yeah, I'm curious about what Rafaela could do yeah. visiting Estudiantes. And would that be the last game for Russo if, if they lost? Possibly, yeah, possibly. Surely, yeah. Got, 
So those are Australian dance. They are Australian dance predictions. We should say that that was serious. We weren't just guessing. Um, and uh, and also just to to be clear, those that wasn't an impression of Australian dance that we were trying to do. It was a generic Australian accent. Yeah. Um, we are aware that Think his accent is Exactly. Yes, very much so. Uh, that's not a knife. This is a knife and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway. I think we've got through this fairly successfully given that we didn't have an awful lot to talk about. We hope that you've enjoyed the, the Coppa Argentina discussion in particular as well as our vivid dissection of Argentina's mixed fortunes in the, the qualifiers. We'll be back next week hopefully with a, a full complement of um, podcasters. So enjoy your weeks ladies and gents. Uh, enjoy the football this weekend. It's goodbye from English Star. See you later mates. <laughs> goodbye from Seven. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's that. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? And goodbye from me. It's uh, time to go back out into the rain, I think, in the lovely Buenos Aires spring. Goodbye, everyone.